Hello and welcome along to the Good Growth Podcast. On this episode, we're talking big brands uh, on a continental or even global scale, uh, the impacts and profile of the brand in different markets and the impact of the pandemic. And we'll be tying this all in with the role e-commerce plays in maximising the brand's opportunity and growth potential. Uh, to do this, I'm joined by someone with plenty of experience working for big brands. Uh, he's the e-commerce director at Kellogg's. It's Dean McElwee. Welcome, Dean. Hi, Dan. Thanks very much uh, for having me on the show. Great to be here. Absolute pleasure. And how are you? Are you keeping well? Yeah, very well. It's it's a challenging time for us all, but I think it's about adapting and, and learning during this time and testing new things. So definitely having a lot of fun at the moment. So we're keen to get into your brand's background and uh, talk about particularly your role at Kellogg's and the, the challenges that, and opportunities that you have at Kellogg's at the moment. I just wonder if you can give us a quick yeah, background on your role with brands and because uh, you've worked with Coca-Cola as well. So just give our listeners a bit of a flavour as to what your experience has been. Yeah, I've been very lucky to work across a number of really large brands. I work for Kellogg's now. Previously, I worked for Coca-Cola in the Southern African business, which was a huge learning experience for us. We were able to work across many different markets in Africa, across a lot of brands. Previously to that, I worked for MasterCard, mainly in the big data analytics field and Nestle. So I've I've been very fortunate to work across a large number of brands across now two different continents and two different parts of the world, which, which has been a huge benefit to me personally. Yeah, let's touch on that. You so you work for Coca-Cola in the Southern African business, one of their largest markets. How important was that market for Coca-Cola? And just can you give us a, a, an idea of what the, the scale of opportunity was like during your time there? Southern Africa is a huge market for Coca-Cola. South Africa itself is the sixth biggest country in the world for Coca-Cola um, by volume. It turns over about one and a half billion pounds. So, so it's a huge business for them. It's, it's also a very interesting business. It has both really top-end retail right through to bottom-end retail. So from a learning experience, you learn everything from how to operate in really, really emerging markets through to really sophisticated markets. Um, it's, it's also a huge opportunity market. Um, what you see with a lot of emerging markets is they, they're really good at soft drinks, but they're moving more into things like waters and juices and things like that. So there's huge opportunity for growth beyond just the, the traditional soft drink territory. And, and how much does the demographic of those countries play a part in that? Because uh, I suppose you compare to Europe, it tends to be a slightly older demographic or a, a, an aging population, whereas Africa is much younger uh, and, and having a bit of a population boom. How different then does that, uh, or how different then is the opportunity and growth potential perhaps? Yeah, it's, it's very different. You take a country like South Africa, 50% of the population is under the age of 25. Um, so as, as a large brand like Coca-Cola and Kellogg's and a lot of the other brands there, what you're trying to do is attract that younger cohort of, of, of people into your brand um, because they've got this long lifetime value, obviously. So you're, you're trying to focus on how do you attract and retain them right from really from when they're young right through to the top end of, of the age band. So it's, it's really focusing on a lot of recruitment as opposed to conversion um, for a lot of the brands there. So yeah, very much about, I guess, engaging new audiences and then being able yeah. to bring them on board and retain them, of course, over for a long period of time, keep them coming back. Absolutely. And I think, as you know, what you do see with those younger audiences is their social things change. So it's, it's TikTok now, it was Instagram, it was Facebook, it's Snapchat. So keeping up with those trends in a, in a dynamic market and trying to recruit people through rapidly changing digital landscapes, rapidly changing 
views about brands is a great learning experience for anybody because it means you've got to really keep on top of the trends all the time. Would you say that's one of the key lessons then that uh, brands and uh, can adopt uh, from your experience? It's, it's very much keeping up with the or trying to keep up with the trends and, and adapting. Yeah, I think especially in digital and e-commerce, you've got to you, you've got to keep your finger on the pulse in terms of what's happening. It, it's changing so quickly. Um, and, and I think what you've also got to understand is that every single market is different. So, you know, what I often reflect to people is that having worked in two different places um, in the world, you, you, you've got to act global but think local. So, so try and take the best of what works for your company from a global perspective. It's understanding of consumers. Somebody like Coke and Kellogg's does that very well. Um, then what does that local market offer? Because every market is different. And you know, in, in my experience with, with uh, Kellogg's and working in e-commerce in Europe, it's, it's also the same. You know, Germany is not the same as the UK. UK shoppers look for something different. Um, they're focused on different things online than, than other markets are. And then if you go through to Russia and, and sort of the more emerging markets from an e-commerce perspective, they're all very different in terms of the way they operate. Uh, and I suppose to relate that to, let's use the Coca-Cola example there and the Coca-Cola brand for for listeners. You go to any country in the world and whilst you might be able to buy a bottle of Coke, the way it looks, the way it's shaped, marketed, is all very different. There might be different flavours, might be different size bottle, different slogan or something on the front. So very deliberate in terms of how that's just adapted to the different audience, different market, I assume. Absolutely. And I, th- I think really what it is there is about being customer centric and, and really understanding who is that customer in the market? What are the routes to market that may exist? You know, we, we shouldn't just assume that every market operates in the same way. It, it really doesn't. So being customer centric means looking for what are the opportunities that those customers need and want and what are, what are their value. Um, and then giving them a different execution depending on where they are. Um, you know, and I, I often relate that to, to the e-commerce world. We, we shouldn't just be able replicating what we do online with what we do offline. It, it's not the same. You need a different execution. You need to focus on different things to win. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I'm just moving that then on to Kellogg's and obviously much more dominant in the European marketplace. Um, just actually a bit about yourself. When did you make the move to Europe and what sort of things did you bring on board in, in your move to Kellogg's and what was your, your vision? Yeah, I think I moved at the beginning of 2019. So I was very fortunate to, to be able to make the move here. And I think what I noticed about the landscape, particularly from an African perspective versus European perspective, is there are many, many similarities that, you know, the channels are very much the same. There's convenience stores um, through most major markets. There's wholesalers through most major markets. Um, what, one of the big differences, though, with, with Africa specifically, and, and I think it's true of a lot of emerging markets, is, is that to grow retail businesses in those markets requires a huge amount of capital. Um, so retail tends to be dominated by a small number of players, and it tends to be quite a concentrated retail landscape from, from the sort of more formal landscape point of view. Um, in, in Europe, that, that is a bit different. You don't have as much concentration, probably with the exception of Switzerland, where I think there are two or three retailers in, in that type of market. There tends to be a lot more retailers. Um, I, I think also because of because of the, the Gini coefficient differences in, in Africa versus Europe, you, you have a, a progression of 
supermarkets and retail, which is really just about price and really keenly about value and not so much about experience. Um, there tends to be a small pocket of people who are really looking for an experiential um, shopping experience, um, whereas in Europe that tends to be a bit bigger. Um, you know, the, the, the shops are a lot, lot um, more sophisticated in terms of the way, the way they operate at scale. Um, also, what you don't have in Africa is a huge participation from the discounters. So there's not as much discounters like LD and Lidl um, they haven't really penetrated those markets at all. And that's more a conscious decision from their side rather than a, an opportunity there. So I, I think um, there are a lot of changes and a lot of, a lot of similarities. I think also the other reflection is that when you look at these markets is that in, in some cases the South African market would be ahead of some parts of Europe and some, some cases behind. And my reflection on that is that Evolution happens as a consequence of either necessity or, or stimulus. So in, in, in a South African market, certain things would need to be pushed ahead. So, um, you know, online banking is, is very common and very sophisticated in that market because the postal system doesn't really mm. um, perform that well. So it has evolved more so in, in that. And I think that this is also what we've seen from COVID. We've seen the stimulus, which is, you know, led to this rapid, rapid, rapid evolution of, of grocery e-commerce. You've had, you know, I was, I was looking at something this morning and the, the UK saw 24 million orders, online orders being fulfilled in the, in, in the UK in January. I mean, that's huge. It's, it's more than doubled since last year. So I think that's that stimulus aspect, which has led to that rapid, rapid, rapid growth. Uh, that's some really interesting points. I want to tease out uh, a little bit more. You mentioned around the European market perhaps being better set up for a more appeal to the experience aspect, um, as well as perhaps just the transactional aspect. How can e-commerce help uh, facilitate that experience a bit more or, or that experience aspect a bit more and um, and again perhaps even touching on the pandemic has that been more challenging in some ways because of just the sheer volume of sales that you've had yeah I, I think it's a good question so so in terms of what, what happened in 2020 2020 was really from a grocery grocery retail in the UK about building capacity and building capacity very quickly so it was about get as many click and collect and delivery slots that you could to address, address the opportunity that, that was coming in. Um, I think what we're going to see in 2021 and beyond is a bit more evolution of that. So what, you're, what you'll see is uh, Sainsbury's recently announced shoppable recipes with a company called Whisk. Um, that whole shoppable aspect and personalization aspect is going to be rolled out. So we've seen Carrefour and Intermarché in France both look at personalized nutrition. So it, you'd answer various questions in the website and then it would suggest foods for you as part of your, your online shop that help you maintain your nutritional needs. So I think what you're going to see is a lot more personalization um, at scale to, to allow you to, to just improve that experience. Now for shop is something different online. Um, You'll see those shoppable recipes and being able to build baskets within a recipe from various players. I, I think the other thing that you're going to see is more live streaming. So, so Carrefour tested live streaming last year. Um, live streaming is really, really big in China. And I, th I think it's starting to move into Europe. So what that tends to, to involve is brands 
live streaming events and live streaming offers, it, it almost reminds me of that sort of um, online sort of um, shopping that happens with TVs when, yeah. when the guy's talking about it and he goes, for the next hour, I'm going to offer you this at the discount. I think I think you're going to sort of see that evolution in, in online. Um, we've got the broadband capabilities here to do that sort of high-res video. So I, th I think you're going to see more of that type of evolution. Um, the more and more we... We, we are under COVID restrictions. I think that'll be the way that retail theater, as it is, develops online. That's, uh, I mean, it's a great point. I, it, funny enough, we actually, uh, in a previous episode of the podcast, have spoken to the CEO of QVC UK. So the, yeah. the, the originals, I suppose, in that, I mean, how they're looking to, to bring that online too. Um, I saw an article that or they gave an interview for at the end of last year around uh, the markets that Kellogg's is looking to expand to in Europe. You're, you're obviously very well established in the UK and, and France as well. Where, where else uh, are the opportunities for growth do you see for Kellogg's? Yeah, good question. So I think where we're seeing a lot of growth at the moment, um, both offline and particularly online, is Russia. So Russia has has a huge population. You know, there's 145 million people there, and if you look at even the online side of things, Moscow's 11 million people as a catchment area. St. Petersburg is six million people. Um, so once you start dealing with the scale of those markets, we're seeing huge growth in in Russia, both online and offline. Um, I, I think in, in terms of the other markets, from an online perspective, there's lots of growth in the Nordic regions. Um, it's still off a fairly, fairly small base, but it's growing really quickly. So Sweden, Finland, Denmark. Um, I think what, what you have seen with Amazon, Amazon's launched in Sweden. They're rumored to launch in Denmark this year, and, and they're rolling out there. So I think... From an online perspective, very much uh, Nordics and then Central and Eastern Europe are really huge growth areas for us. You've, you've got well-developed platforms like Allegro in Poland that are very sophisticated and, and growing very quickly. Um, so we definitely see a lot of potential there. Some great insights there on Kellogg's. I want to, I guess, conclude this podcast for you to talk about a bit more around uh, how you see the role of digital and e-commerce playing in a brand now and, and going forward. I think you've teased out a few avenues there. Um, how do you see that role developing and uh, over the next few years? I think what the pandemic has allowed us to do or forced us to do, and coming back to that idea of, of stimulus and, and evolution through necessity, is what brands have had to do is they've had to look at um, what are their current touch points versus what are the touch points that they should be going after? And I think digital plays a big part of that. You know, I think often we've planned our business models in terms of it's a retail business and we'll do an advert and TV. We may do some sampling in store. Um, we've had to reassess those. And I think putting the consumer back at the center of that um, is really what we've got to do. And we've got to look at all those digital touch points. We did, we did a first campaign with Pringles last year on TikTok. Um, and, and, you know, for, for a brand like ours, which is you know, more than a 100-year-old company, the first time somebody mentioned doing a, a campaign <laughs> on TikTok, you can imagine the, the internal reaction. Um, but it worked out really well for us. We, we had about 150,000 user-generated content videos that, or short videos on, on TikTok. And, and it, we ended up with about um, 2.5 billion views on the hashtag of Play With Pringles. So you know, I, think, I think it's really about meeting the, the consumer or shopper where they are. Often as big brands, we, we, we try and focus through our digital channels and, and things like that. But we've got to meet them where they are rather than where we want them to be. Yeah. Um, and 
be part of their lives as opposed to asking them to be a part of our lives, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, can, can you give us a bit more insight, I suppose, on, and it's, I'm sure it's the case for many, a big brand, of having that challenge where, uh, you, you, like you say, you've almost been forced to embrace new challenges um, and take this customer-centric approach. But it's, I guess it's so easy to revert back to that internal uh, sort of preference or way of working, a way of doing things that it's really, it really is a stretch to, to make that jump to become a consumer-centric brand. It, it is because I think, you know, everything follows processes. So what happens is you would be sitting there last year and you would have divided up your budget between the line spend and in-store spend. Um, the pandemic's changed that and challenged all of that and said, well, you know, you can't make those decisions anymore. You need to look at them differently. So it's how you change the processes and how you change the business as a result. You know, I, I've said to a, a lot of people in, in our business that e-commerce and digital isn't a project that somebody does on the side. <laughs> it needs to be ingrained in the processes of how we work as a business. So we need to be involved in the decision-making that happens. You need to change the budget allocation processes. You need to change the, the decisions that you're making. And, and that's not easy. That's hard for a brand. Um, because yeah. everybody's not used to that. And I think the, the other part is capability. We, we focused a lot last year on developing digital IQ um, because what often happens in businesses like ours is, um, especially with digital being being very new and, and, and being very new to, to CPG companies really, is that the digital IQ of the organization is almost inversely proportional to the leadership of the organizations. The leadership of the organization, you know, have spent a long time there, um, but it's not natural for them. They're not the, they're not the millennials and, and, and the guys coming through who, who don't know any different about growing up with things like Snapchat and TikTok. You know, it's, it's ingrained. So um, you've got to work with that, managing the digital IQ of the business doing that as well as all the processes that, that, that you are looking at. I suppose my final question is just, uh, you mentioned around the, the TikTok campaigns, what further aspirations are there for the brand digitally? I think our focus is, is really get really, really scaled on data-driven marketing. Um, I, I, I think with all these, all these choices that we have in the digital landscape, first of all, you've got a, a huge opportunity to get data. And getting data enables you to make better decisions than you did before, not work as much as you were on gut or feeling. Um, so focus really on building a platform of data-driven marketing as, as our first step. That allows us to then decide where, where we want to be and engage where we want to be to proactively shape that future rather than um, sort of have it happen to us. And, and then the third aspect really for us is is be where our consumers and shoppers want us to be rather than where we want them to be. Um, we've got to adjust our business to make sure that we're where they are rather than where we want them to be. And, and I think that's a huge focus for a lot of brands. Um, you know, you'll see a lot of CPG brands who don't really want to play on marketplaces like Amazon and things like that. But the reality is the, the Amazons of this world aren't going away. In fact, they're going to open in more markets. They opened in Netherlands last year. They opened Sweden last year. They'll open Poland this year. Um, they aren't going to go away. So you need to be where those shoppers are and really try and win at those points of purchase. Brilliant. Um, so very much I've taken from that. I need to be adaptable, customer-centric approach. Um, 
that's very much uh, and partially enforced by the the conditions of, of what we're living in at the moment. Some exciting times, some very challenging times. Um, Dean, thank you very much for, for that. It was content rich. There's so much to unpick from that. So it was uh, brilliant to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Great. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Thank you.